Welcome to Meanwhile. This is Michael Melcher, and I'm here to tell you why you should not be afraid of boredom and, in fact, invite it into your life more. Who am I? I'm an executive coach living in New York City and Western Massachusetts. I work in the field of leadership development, specifically in the area of coaching. Coaching is a method to help people think more deeply and broadly and therefore get more out of what you want in life. This is a podcast about ways to improve your life and work, partly but not exclusively drawn from my work. It's called Meanwhile because it's about how to make changes while you're doing everything else. And since my first and forever client is myself, I also share a lot about how I experience things. Welcome aboard. Are you bored? I hope not, given that I've just started this podcast, but maybe you're bored. Maybe I'm bored too. Boredom is something we experience a lot. And for the most part, we try to prevent it, avoid it, minimize it, solve it. Well, today's episode is about why boredom is good and why we should get into it more. So let's get started. As dedicated listeners of Meanwhile know, I have twin sons who are now four. They are the light of my life, best thing I've ever done. I love being a parent. And I'm also here to tell you that parenting involves a lot of boredom. There are no two ways about it. There are many reasons for this. The first is that with kids, or at least with twins, you actually can't do anything else while you're with them, unless it's something completely passive like listening to music or watching the same TV programs that they are watching, such as Paw Patrol. Maybe with one kid, you could get away with uh, doing a little work on the side, but I'm skeptical about that. They're pretty all-encompassing creatures, both because you have to keep them alive and because they are quite demanding and insistent in what they want and are happy to repeat the same demand 15 times in a row. So they require attention. The second thing is that little kids, frankly, do not bring a whole lot to the table. They're not especially great conversationalists. They don't ask you about your day. Um, they're not able to ask useful coaching questions that begin in what and how that might stimulate greater creativity and thoughtfulness on your part. They may not be all that interested in you, uh, aside from what you can do with them. They definitely are super delightful and charming and say wacky things like, that's not cool, or knock yourself out, strange little phrases you wouldn't imagine four-year-olds use. But in general, they exist at the level of a four-year-old or whatever there is, which means short attention span, a focus on things you're probably not interested in, and an ability to keep pushing and demanding for what they want. The uh, dinner, bath, getting them dressed, getting them to their bedroom, stopping them from body slamming one another or trying to limit the time that they do that with, applying various creams or medicines or whatever is required at the time, reading them a story, reading them another story that you've probably read 50 times, um, telling them a story, singing a song, only one of three which are acceptable to them, namely ABC, Twinkle Twinkle, or Wheels on the Bus. You know, and then responding or denying 
requests for water, leaving lights on, etc., etc. It is death by a thousand cuts, and it goes on and on and on. If you resist it, well, that's when you get really bored. So I would say that the essence of boredom, the worst kind of boredom, is when you're experiencing something that's boring and you're trying to stop it from occurring or to make it be over quickly so that you can go off and do something more interesting, like read a book that you want to read or have some wine or the two together. The only way to deal with this kind of boredom, I've discovered, is to completely accept it, to let it roll over you, to accept that you might be in that glider chair for three minutes, or you might be in it for an hour at a time that you'd rather do something else. And you never know on any given night how long that time is going to be. So you can't actually start planning what you're going to do afterwards unless you want to make yourself crazy. In a weird way, though, if you let yourself be bored, it loses its power. Whereas if you resist it, it gains power. I would generally say that the avoidance of boredom is one of the problems of our age. And the experience of boredom can actually be useful to you. So let's take this apart. The avoidance of boredom is one of the problems of our age. Okay, well, we live in an instant gratification country that has become more instant and more gratifying with each year. I remember as a child that McDonald's was a kind of unusual thing. Like I think there was one in the small town that I was born in, Kent, Ohio. And I remember going there on the first Earth Day, and we could exchange one giant bag of trash we picked up by the river for like one hamburger or something. And that was exciting because we didn't normally go to McDonald's. It was considered going out to eat and something you wouldn't do regularly. Well, now there is a McDonald's within four minutes or four miles of nearly every American. So it is everywhere. You can get a friggin' Happy Meal whenever you feel like it. No problem with that. It's always around the corner, as is every other type of immediate gratification that you can eat or drink. We definitely know this has had an impact because our entire country is obese now, um, and that's largely a result of the gigantic cheap portions of junk food available at every turn. But there's another big expression of our fear of boredom, which is, I think, even more problematic. And that, of course, is my favorite bugaboo, technology, or specifically the so-called smartphones that are part of our lives, and for most people, the dominant force in our lives. Remember when the iPhone came out and apps were getting started, and Apple ran these ads that would say things like, there's an app for that, there's an app for that, there's an app for that, oh, how wonderful, there's an app for that. Well, what it was really saying is that there is an instantly gratifying way of dealing with whatever issue you're dealing with, whether it's buying a ticket or getting a reservation or God knows what people use apps for. And sure, people like to save time, they don't like to do tedious chores, but the assumption that whatever is quickest to achieve is best is an extremely problematic one and not actually true. Many times what's best for us are things that we fight for or attain after a lot of effort as opposed to the simplest way of getting them. So smartphones position themselves as our guide to a better life by 
getting quicker results and removing effort. Another thing they do are these push messages, those little red numbers that show up on all the different apps that inform you that something has happened and you have to find out what it is right now. This can take the form of little buzzes and whistles and tones that alert you to something or simple red messages that demand your attention. And it works. I remember as a child that if the telephone rang at dinner, people would run across the room to answer it because it seemed so important. And furthermore, if it was, God forbid, long distance, people would shout out, I'm on long distance, because it cost more and was important. Now, that seems kind of ridiculous now because no one answers their phone. And, oh, those dumb baby boomers who would interrupt their lives to actually talk on the phone. God forbid anybody should talk on the phone anymore. Uh, But actually, it's a million times worse now because with the push notifications, everyone has their own personal system of being interrupted. But I think people love this because it is a constant exit from whatever reality you are facing. And that's the other way that smartphones exist and uh, social media. It's a way of escaping wherever you are because there's always potentially something going on on Instagram or Politico or social media or Grindr or some similar app. Uh, You can always just leave where you are emotionally and psychically and check in with the alternate reality. Any group of people standing around or sitting around, whether it's on a subway, at an airport boarding lounge, um, parents waiting to pick up their kids, doctor's offices, etc., even like restaurants when people are supposedly having dinner with each other and talking, most of the people are absorbed in their phones, checking, checking, sending, reading, watching, as opposed to being in reality. I think the reason they're doing it is because they think it's interesting, and therefore not doing it is boring, and not to try to end their boredom would produce great anxiety. Boredom and anxiety are related because when you're bored... You kind of open up that big maw of feelings underneath. Whereas if you open your phone to check something, you can momentarily escape it. By never being bored, we are kind of bottling up whatever is inside and never letting it come out. This is bad enough for adults um, who I think look ridiculous peering into little tiny screens, often with magnified text. Um, But it's even worse for like kids and adolescents. When I was a child, part of my life was just being bored. I remember endless hours staring at the clock in English class in high school or what have you, waiting for the next period, which would at least be some change. I also remember like being with my family or adults and feeling incredibly bored, but you had to just get through it and get through the awkwardness. And in doing so, you develop certain important life skills of being able to be resilient and persevere and defer gratification and know that things do get better. But younger people nowadays, I think, never have those experiences because from earliest childhood, they're allowed or even encouraged to escape into their devices. And anytime they have a moment of discomfort or fear or anxiety or boredom, just go into that. And therefore, they never actually learn how to manage it. And therefore, the idea of it becomes all the more scary. So in summary, uh, in our modern life, we are trying to engineer out 
the idea of ever being bored with anything, of ever having a moment that is not stimulating in some at least low-key way and finding some other use for our attention. But you could ask, what's the problem with that? Aside from everyone looks stupid walking around looking at their phones all the time. Well, I think boredom is useful. First of all, boredom, it just means not doing or not experiencing or not thinking. It means you're kind of vacant. But why is that a bad thing? It might feel uncomfortable. It might feel a little bit slow. But I would argue it's probably a natural interregnum between more heightened states or actions. Sometimes the next thing to do or think or feel is not obvious. You need some space. In that way, boredom is kind of like decluttering. You need to move stuff out of the way in order to see what might emerge or what might come into your life. I think after a period of boredom, you often get into a greater period of insight or creativity. Interestingly, you might try this. Here's a little task you can try. The next time you have to go on a drive that's, say, 30 minutes or longer, put your phone in your trunk, lock it up, and keep your radio off so that you're not listening to anything, you're not talking to anybody, you're not checking anything, you're just driving the way people used to drive. And just do it and see what happens and see what happens with your mind and your thoughts. It's actually a kind of meditation because thoughts will come in and out of your head. You won't be able to really predict what you start with, what you end with. And just see what that experience is like. I can guarantee that even if you feel really bored at first, you will not feel bored later. Boredom tends to pass. Another use of boredom is that it can actually get us out of ruts. So sometimes when I'm bored, let's say I'm sitting in traffic on the Merritt Parkway and it's making me kind of crazy, my temptation is to find something to unbore me. But if I can overcome that temptation, I try saying instead, life is long or I'm bored. Life is long. And it's nice to have those long, boring moments, particularly because everybody is constantly telling you that life rushes by, especially if you have kids, and it will disappear in an instant. Well, taking some time to be bored is a good way to elongate life and to appreciate it more and to experience how long it really is and what you can actually do with it. One way we can think of boredom is that it is a little bit like sleep. It balances things out. It is a kind of neutral to our normal active. It's a negative to our desire to be positive. It is a moment where we don't have any agency. And so maybe it's necessary, a yin to our yang or a yang to our yin. And just as we're sleep deprived in the US, I think we're probably also boredom deprived. And then instead of trying to fill every loose second or anxious moment with some kind of activity to show that we're productive, we should just give into it and just be bored. So meanwhile, listeners, here's your challenge for this week. Let yourself be bored. Let yourself be bored in a kind of neutral way. Just accept it and find a situation where you would normally try to distract yourself or do something or be productive or escape and just uh, do nothing. It could be when you're driving It could be when you're waiting for somebody. It could be in a restaurant where you sit down and have ordered and the food's not going to come for a while. It could be waiting to get on an airplane. It could be actually sitting on an airplane. Just try doing nothing. Just try sitting and being bored 
and reminding yourself that life is long. For meanwhile, this is Michael Melcher, and I will talk to you again next time. Be bored.